Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Jim, it's good to have you back in here. It's been a while. Has it been a minute? Yeah. It's been like, I feel like it's been about six, six weeks. weeks. Yeah. At least, yeah. It's been uh, at least five. That's so. your that's your duck call right there, by the way, Jim. Fantastic. How do you blow that thing? Push air through the wooden <laughs> end of it. Yep. <laughs> Tell me again, Jared, where you're from. Um, so I, uh, I'm from St. Bernard, Louisiana. Yeah, so, so there's an obvious problem in Louisiana right now. And uh, and you seem to be somewhat knowledgeable at the forefront of it. So, what's causing yeah. this problem? Uh, so what's going on in Louisiana right now? You know, we the bottom third of Louisiana is all uh, coastal land. It's all you know uh, alluvial soils formed by either the Mississippi River, the Chafalaya River. Um, so we're, we're basically living on a delta here from, from the, you know, the bottom third, you know, I'm talking south of Baton Rouge, starting around New Orleans, you know, at one point New Orleans was just a swamp, you know, so this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't rock, this isn't, you know, land that's been here for a long time. I think I want to say this, like this delta we're living on is, uh, you know, 10,000 years old or less. So it's not like, you know, we're fairly young as far as land goes. Um, so with that, since we are a Delta, since we're built by the Deltaic process, the Mississippi river, the Chafalaya river, uh, our land is, is actually very susceptible to erosion, right? So like, that's what happens over the course of these deltas. They build them, they become like, you know, they kind of like grow out in one part, but as the river changes course, that old part starts to subside and over another few thousand years it starts to go away and then the river cuts back and you know so it's like it's an ever-changing landscape a delta it's not like you know uh, anything north of i guess say baton rouge where like it's pretty set it's not going to change much um a delta is constantly always changing so that's that's the the deltaic process is essentially yeah, that's the, the river process. even if man is not like you know even if we're not here that's what it's doing okay you know? it's still still changing you do have like the you know the the gulf of mexico tends to erode parts of it but then new parts are built and it's just kind of you know kind of always changing right like i know on the off the coast of alabama they found like old cypress tree roots so at one point that's how far the landmass of alabama stretched out 
and then it just kind of receded over a long time you know so it's like it always like there's some there's some like growth but then there's some you know some i guess erosion as well you mentioned the chafalaya river which if you look at a map looks like chafalaya i think on, yeah. on the map and if you, if you say that to someone from louisiana they instantly know you ain't from around here yeah or at least but, not from from the parts of it that say it that way right yeah. but if i'm not mistaken that that river, when you mentioned 10,000 years ago, that was where the Mississippi was. If I'm not mistaken, somewhere up near Baton Rouge, they're constantly spending all kinds of money to keep the river from going back that way. There was a point in time where the Mississippi was starting to reroute more of its flow towards the Chafalaya. And that's why we have the old river control structure up, uh, I think that's up near Marksville. Mm. So they, they basically knew that they knew that like, all right, if we don't do something here soon, the, you know, the, the, the majority of the flow of the Mississippi is actually going to run right into the Chafalaya. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but deltas basically, <clears throat> the deltas are formed by all kinds of rivers. It's not just the Mississippi and the Chafalaya, but yeah, they are, yeah. they're essentially like a, they're, they're like a brake system to slow a river down before it meets the ocean. It creates your big, uh, your brackish marshes and and stuff like that you see uh well like uh what the everglades have uh and the as the water sheet water flows down through there um and in the deltas you'll see a lot of the sheet standing sheet water and and things of that nature appalachia yeah appalachicola um and even in like the saint john's there's where it flows out into out of jacksonville there's there's still a lot well there used to be a lot of river delta up there but again like you, like I'm sure we'll touch on, it's been rerouted a lot strictly for shipping purposes. Yeah. Yeah, so what happened was around um, the beginning of the 20th century, we started really manipulating what was happening on the Mississippi River, what was happening to the Mississippi River. So, like, before, you know, before New Orleans was really built and before it became, like, a big shipping hub, the river would flood every, you know, mostly every spring, right? So, like, you get your snow melt up north, you get your spring rainfall, and the Mississippi River floods, it overflows its normal bank, spreads out, and builds more delta, you know? But if you're trying to build a civilization, that annual flooding becomes a big problem, and that really came to a head in 1927 when you had a flood in the Mississippi bigger than they'd ever seen before, um and it just uh it it was it was a monumental flood and that's when the federal government was like okay we're gonna build levees so big that um that this this river won't be able to do that again now at the time they were smart enough to to know how to do that but what they didn't realize that well once we contain this river and once we channelize it it's not going to be able to build the delta anymore um so that's where the problems really began Correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but that's about the same time they put levees on the south of Lake Okeechobee. I think I was thinking the same thing. That's when that's about the same time they straightened the Kissimmee River. Yeah, and we in Florida we straightened a river, ran into some pretty significant problems. And man, I want to say like two years after they finished straightening it, they said, "Now you got to put it back." Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I don't think it was it was less than a decade. They finished it yeah. and said, "Whoops." So, uh, they it, go in after the 27 flood. 27 flood was like. Like I said, once once in a in a you know thousand year flood, it was awful. People died, you know, all the way up towards like the Delta region of Mississippi, uh, Greenville, stuff like that. Like, dude, that river just it flooded. It you know 
damaged homes. They thought it might ruin the city of New Orleans in 1927. They blew the levee down here by my house to save New Orleans. It was just a disaster. So, um, so yeah, they went up going in, building this big, enormous federal levee. And like I said, what they didn't realize was that it, once they do that, the river can no longer replenish with sediments the marshes that it had already built. So as soon as you stopped and you know stopped that replenishing effect, your marshes started sub to subside without being replenished. Then shortly after that, they discovered oil underneath the marshes and the wetlands on our coast. So then they're going and extracting the oil. Well, how do you get the oil back onto dry land? Well, you run a pipeline from the well to you know where it needs to go. Well, how do you run a pipeline in the marsh? You just dig a canal and you lay the pipe where the canal is and then the canal floods with water and that becomes a new waterway, which now leads to even more saltwater intrusion. So we've like rapidly sped up this process of erosion and subsidence that mother nature would normally find her own way of taking care of. So that started in, in the thirties, all of that. And uh, so it just, it kept on going, right? And then by the time we started to realize it in like the 70s that like, oh crap, we messed up, it was a little bit too late. So we've lost up until today, we've lost about 2,300 square miles. That's the size of Delaware, how much we've lost in wetlands. And we continue to lose um, every day. That's insane. The size of Delaware. I'd trade Delaware when we dig it up, throw it down to Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ship it down on a barge. So yeah. you you're in the you're in the Delacroix area? I'm I'm near, yeah, very close. Gotcha. That's where my family I, I've I've been fortunate enough to hunt out there a couple of times and, and I'm as you're ex- explaining the stories, you see all the oil. It's weird, man. You look out, say on uh, Onyx and you're out in the middle of nowhere. You can't hardly see anything but a couple of you know, uh, marsh islands. But if you pull up Onyx, you're on private land, a lot of it owned by oil companies. And you'll see the yeah. wellhead sticking out of the water. The marsh lands, um, the way that happened, you know, so when the French first got here, uh, most of that stuff wasn't necessary. It was kind of just like a no man, you know, every man's land. Like if you wanted it, you used it. I think there were a few Frenchmen who kind of claimed it, but there was one Frenchman who turned the vast majority of it over to the people, like on like a handshake deal. Well, in the in the twenties and in that time again, politicians started to realize, wait a minute, there's all this free land out there that nobody has technically claimed. So they go to the state, work out a deal, and then you started getting private ownership of all that marsh that people had been using for years publicly. Um, and you got to realize, like that type of environment wasn't really regarded at the time like it was just kind of trash land like you couldn't build on it and it was fairly inaccessible so like no one was really putting up a fight to 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 keep it other than like the spanish and french people who made a living off of it so uh so yeah a lot of your politicians took it and then you know sold it to oil companies and made a pile of money off of it i know it's led to some unusual you guys are still fighting battles right about Public, private, and I guess because you got navigable waterways, the water on right. top is public, but the dirt underneath it is private. You've had a legislator 
submit le- it didn't go anywhere i guess submit legislation where they were going to try to make it all public except for the duck rights they were going to leave those private i mean it, it's really created a it's an odd thing man louisiana is just different but i mean there's a lot of things these guys go back to the napoleonic code as far as where your base of law comes from right right but, well i mean up until now it's been someone's property so how can you go in and say oh we're just gonna let anyone go on your property and uh you know, some of the water is navigable and some of it is not so navigable. You know, so if it's a, a duck pond that's six inches deep, is that really navigable? You know, can that's you really nav that without 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 touching the bottom? Yeah, you without know? an airboat or a mud boat or. No, but I know there's uh, been fights over things because there's some guys will come along. Somebody came along and said you could take if it wasn't historically public or historically navigable, then now it's back to private hands. So. You've got canals and whatnot that some people have been using, say, for the last several decades, and all of a sudden guys are putting fences over them. I mean, it. I don't. I don't. I. I understand that's all going on, though. I, I'm. A, it's a mystery to me. Um, like on on X or any type of like, uh, county ownership maps, it's it's blocked off, you know. So it's blocked off like any other piece of property. So you you know the property the the property line is the property line. Wow whether it's got water on it or not, you know, and, and that kind of gets back to the conversation we, we were starting with though. Right. Like, so if I owned marshland that eventually turned into water because of erosion, that's still my, you know, it's like you still own your section of property. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I do want to kind of get into this. Uh, you went out and with a, a certain organization or, or organizations and uh, and planted some, was it marsh grass? Yeah, so the problems I'm talking about, the you know, the coastal erosion problems, the man-made problems, um, it's a lot, typically when we talk about how to fix it, it's a large scale, you know, involving all of the government agencies, the Corps of Engineers, public, you know, $50 billion of public money. It's a big undertaking and begin fixing some of this you won't ever fix all of it you won't ever bring it all back there are certain projects that can build it back certain things we can do to kind of put right the wrongs um but they they usually cost a lot a lot a lot of money but some some things that we've been able to do that don't cost a lot a lot a lot of money and that you know volunteer efforts can help with is is just going out there and planting a bunch of plants you know so like for instance we went to my family's property and it's not like a big piece you know it's just some some property my grandfather had for fur trapping it's not like you know a big deal well it's slowly been converted to open water well i got with a state agency and and um a few other you know so the state agency works with like other volunteer groups and they 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 purchase marsh plants from a nursery load them up in a boat and you go out and plant them so we did that that day i think we planted like 2000 plants in total um there was myself and a, and a bunch of other volunteers and we just go with a mud boat and plant them plant them and, and we want to put them all out and the hope is that the you know majority of those plants are going to survive and start to grow and close in some of that open water that you know that used to be land is now open water we're trying to close it back in by putting these plants in i mean if we're going to be so, really serious though the, the true hope is that you build some awesome duck hunting habitat where that open water <laughs> 
Dude, the migration is so screwed up right now. You can't really, you know, it's like you can make it perfect, but they're not migrating. You, you know? just got to so hope for the best. You don't, have to, not, maybe. you don't have to tell us down here in Florida because even when the migration is great, uh, we're still shooting <clears throat> wood ducks. And ringers, yeah. And ringers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the occasional but, black belly whistling duck. Uh, models. And model ducks. That's that's about it when you get down yeah. in the central Florida area. In the place I'm talking about, we've seen a huge drop off in duck numbers over the last five years. Well, even Ducks Unlimited's numbers showed a lot of duck yeah. numbers being down this year. Yeah. Uh, again, um, I want to say redheads were were redheads up. Yeah, redheads yeah, were red up. Things were up. Um, I think most everything else was down. I thought teal were. Uh, teal blue wings were up. Blue yeah, I was saying. I think blue up. wings were up. Yeah. Yeah. But so, the is is the point in this grass? We talk about coastal erosion, correct? and how the rivers carry sediment. Is the point in this grass to help catch the sediment? The, the grass I worked with? Yeah. No, because there's no direct flow from the river to where I'm at. Remember, where it's all closed off through levees. Okay, so it's it's to, it's to help uh, keep what's there from washing away further. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose over time, if you get enough dead mass, it starts to add to it too. But Right. How do so with all the root system things? How bad's the nutria problem under undermining some of that effort? Um, it depends on your location. So, like, anytime you have a big hurricane, it knocks the nutria back pretty good. Uh, and then there's like the the state, you know, the state programs where guys can go and trap them, and you know, they cut the tail off, and you get six six dollars per tail. So I don't know that I would say the nutria are enough of a problem to to like make or break the whole thing you know like sure we don't want them there and sure any little added damage to the marsh is not good but i don't i don't know if i'd go so far to say that like nutra are eating so much root systems and so much vegetation that it's 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 gonna it's really going to hurt us more than the actual process that's happening. You know, just wondered. Yeah. Like, it's like if you have cancer and you stub your toe, well, yeah. the nutrient is <laughs> stubbing your toe. You still have cancer, you know, like it's not, I don't think that's enough to make a difference. So, so you said the state and uh, other agencies are trying to, at this point, redo or undo a lot of wrongs that they've done. And you went and you helped planted the grass I mean, what what are some of the other things that uh, that either the Army Corps or the state or other organizations like? What's what's other stuff that they're trying to do to help unwrite that wrong? So some of the things they do is um, they do large dredging projects where you identify an area where it's okay to dig from the bottom of the lake or the Gulf or wherever it is, and it's got the right type of sediment. So you're going to dig it from wherever it is and transport it through a, a dredge and a pipeline and pump it into an area and then it's going to start to like accumulate and form a new island or form a new shoreline or you know whatever it is you're trying to achieve so that's a pretty effective way to do it it costs a lot of money and then as soon as you get that pumped up it's already going back into negative so since it's no longer being rebuilt it's just built so as that erodes it's got a lifetime 
You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but it's very effective and it gets it done quickly. Uh, the other thing they're trying to do is to reroute certain parts of the Mississippi so that it can do what it does best, which is build land over a long period of time. So essentially and have think, small tributaries off the Mississippi. Correct. Okay. Correct. Correct. Now, some of them, the ones that the states wanted, the, the ones that the state wants to do are very man-made. They're not like a natural, you know, uh, distributary and... They, they're pretty controversial because, like, we don't ever know. So, like, there's a lock system at where it meets the river, right? So, like, picture the Mississippi River. It's a big channel. And then you just basically make a little break in the levee, and the water goes out through a canal, right? Well, that part where the break is is man-operated. It's operated by people. So it's not like it, like, is always flowing and flows hard when the river's high and then not so hard when the river's low you kind of depending on people to do the right thing and allow it to flow when it needs to. What's controversial is that too much fresh water in a brackish water estuary upsets your balance of oyster production first. Like oysters, the first one to take a hit once you release too much fresh water. And then brown shrimp take a hit from it. Speckled trout have to like really migrate away from it to spawn. So it's controversial in the sense that like it puts more fresh water in the system that we've been used to in the last 50 years. Yes, now, <clears throat> was yeah. that system able to deal with it better once we started messing with it? Absolutely. So you didn't have oyster beds in places that you have them now because we've salinity of the water. So as the salinity levels rose, people got more accustomed to what came with that from a commercial fishing standpoint. So those people are a lot more hesitant to get on board with the idea of letting the river build land over a long time. That's the other thing is like, if you open the river up now, you probably won't see some effects from that at least for 10 years. You know, it takes it a long time for a delta to start to build up land, whereas a dredge can do it almost overnight. Um, so I think people on the commercial fishing side of things tend to say things like, let's not do the river thing because that's gonna upset our fishery let's just do the dredge thing. What they don't realize is that as soon as that dredge project is done, it's already back into the negative. It doesn't yeah. ever build it. Then you've got to go back to Congress and say, remember that island we built 20 years ago? It's yeah, gone. it's gone. So we're going to yeah. build another for, you know, a hundred million or whatever it is. And so that's but, the downside of that one. The upside to using the river is number one, you're letting mother nature do what she already knows how to do. Um, it just takes a long time and you have to be, you have to, you have to, you know, understand that. Yeah. But so your, so your grass project or, or the one that you were involved in would also help keep those areas from eroding. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the two main things that the state wants to do. There's other like smaller things like, um, they'll go out and put rocks in certain places to protect it from shoreline erosion. They do do the plantings that we're talking about on a larger scale. So there, there, there's a there's a plan if you want to look at it. it's called the louisiana coastal master plan um i think it jumped from like 50 billion to 100 billion like there's you know they've got it all broken down into like this project in this part of the state this project in this part of the state they all cost this one this one this one so they've got it pretty mapped out so that when they go to congress congress knows exactly what they're paying for what could go wrong there right like with the everglades restoration project that never changes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now you've got lawsuits and everything else going on there with the Everglades Foundation and the science that they 
um, produced. Uh, produced. Like I, like I said, produced. The science they produced. <laughs> I'm going to go here and produce me some science. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. And it, a lot of people said it didn't make sense. And now there's lawsuits and things are just, you know, two plus two is not equaling four. I think some of that's because yeah. these problems, you know, when you're trying to solve a problem, you try to work within boundaries you have. But there's so many variables to it that it's hard to account for them all. Right. And it's not until you start doing stuff where you realize, ooh, that was a bigger problem we thought, or that had more of an influence than we thought. But it's I'm listening to this gentleman's stories and I'm like, man, that sounds familiar. You know, we're dealing with it here. It's almost it's very it's very, very similar, you know, with um competing interests, short term versus long term solutions. I, I noticed at one point you had talked about oysters. We're actually having the same exact problem uh in the state Opposite. of Florida. No, in Apalachicola. Well, they're dealing with too much fresh water. We don't have enough. Okay. So, yeah, we're, I yeah. guess we're, we're having the opposite problem in the state of Florida where our yeah. oysters are, are taking a crap. They actually closed down the season. Yeah. There's no yeah, harvest of that. Apalachicola oysters at all. Yeah. I mean, I they have that. the farms. They still yeah. but harvest no, from the farms. No but, wild yeah. harvest. Right. Dude, those oyster beds are gone. So, it, it seems to me like... Uh, just literally kind of coastal wide or uh, it w- it's the west coast of Florida, but Gulf Coast wide that there seems to be uh, a water problem in itself. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, I would I would imagine a lot of that's been created by uh, mankind. It's Oh, I mean, all of it is, no doubt. Because the, the issue with the freshwater getting down there is goes back, in, in Apachicola goes back to... Uh, What's the lake that they've got a lock system oh, put into? Uh, what is Seminole. that? No, it's not Seminole. It's it's north of Appalachia. Yeah. Uh, but they've got a lock system put in there. But they've also that. talked about drilling and stuff there too, which was another thing that they were kind of concerned with. Well, the Supreme Court, Florida sued Georgia, Alabama, and I think maybe Tennessee unsuccessfully. Basically saying, hey, you're you're using so much water that you're killing our state. But the Supreme Court, when I, and I can't remember all the details, but they found like, hey, you know, this is a public waterway, and it's Lake Wimico. Yeah, because that that oh, well, Wimico's the... Wimico's right there. That's yeah, Seminole's way up. Is, but is that further no, we, what yeah, feeds we were Lake Wimico is Appalach is the, is the uh, oh, what feeds that goes back to the uh, Chattahoochee River. Yeah. Yeah, Depot Creek and all those yeah. places for you. But yeah, and that's the, where they're pulling fresh water out of. The amount of fresh water that's flowing out of the Apalachicola has been greatly reduced. And then back in the 60s, they put the Bob Sykes, Sykes cut through one of the barrier islands, which didn't help, right? Water flows out even faster there as opposed to slipping out um, through Indian Pass and whatnot. So now they've got too much brackish water and couple of hurricanes and the oysters are gone. Yeah. Not enough they'll ever return during our lifetime. So tell me, Jared, what is, uh, what are your, uh, I guess, uh, outdoor passions in, in the beautiful sportsman's paradise that is Louisiana? My outdoor passions. Um, a good question. Nice hat. I, I really, I guess I got to go to duck hunting first. 
it's just so magical, man. Like getting out into the marsh in the dark with your friends, watching the sun come up and ducks are flying, you know, around you. Or maybe not, you know, maybe they're not, but just that anticipation that they might be. It's just really something magical about duck hunting. Uh, and it's got so much tradition here in Louisiana. Like, that's like a big thing, you know. It's like a, a cultural thing that you're a part of when you become a duck hunter. So definitely duck hunting for me. I'm a little torn there because, you know, now that, like, my living depends on creating content, uh, it's like, it's, it's you know, it's, it's hard because, like, you have to film when you duck hunt. You have to, like... <laughs> be concerned with creating content when you duck hunt you really just get to enjoy the hunt um but what's going on which is i guess kind of good for me is that like i'm not really having a lot of success on the duck hunting stuff so i might just be able to leave that alone and have more duck hunts that are just for fun than not so, so it's like it's hard to think when you ask me about like what i enjoy doing it's hard to, to separate it from creating content you know what i'm saying like before I created content, yeah, I like to duck on all these catch redfish. I could do that every day. You see what I'm saying? But now that I create content, it's like, okay, well, what's going to play well? What's going to get the most views? What's going to, you know, what's going to be a trip that I don't have to be gone eight hours that I can go do in four hours, you know, so that like I'm making my work day manageable. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of changes everything when you become a content creator. Absolutely. So, I mean, like waterfowl, I've, from my knowledge, more probably doesn't date as far back in Florida as it does in Louisiana. But for us, I mean, I, I grew up being a whitetail hunter. Right, that was what I did. I hunted big game whitetail. But as I got older, uh, I had an opportunity to get into waterfowl, and I just feel like that has taken over my life. Because, like you said, whether you're successful or not, I feel like waterfowl you're able to have a lot more quality time with the people that you're there with, you know, cause like whitetail, I'm sitting in a stand by myself. Right. If you're I'm... sitting in a stand by yourself and you can kind of have it at camp. Like, so let's say you're part of a camp with, you know, with people in a whitetail, but, and, or you bring your kids or whatever, but still it's like, well, if you shoot a deer that evening or if you shoot a hog that evening, then you're still cleaning a hog, you know? So it's definitely not the same social experience as duck hunting. I mean, even with like having to clean birds, me and Jim went to Texas and, uh, you know, the guide offered to clean our birds or whatever, but we ended up cleaning all of our own birds. And we just sat outside the hotel and right. socialized while we cleaned it's birds. social. Yeah. 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 Whereas, like, cleaning a deer is a task. Even if somebody yeah. helps you, it's still, you both kind of, like, can't wait till it's done. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You're focusing on not cutting your finger off. Right. Instead of talking right. to the person next to you. Are you guys allowed right. back to that hotel in Texas? Possibly. They probably they, got a lot of new down pillows. They, they got a whole new tile set, man. They shanked me $400 on those tiles. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing with towels? Cleaning breasts, dude. dude we, we, we cleaned those ducks, and then <clears throat> we – I don't know how many guys were on that trip, but Jordan and I basically – Cleaned everything. Cleaned and vacuum sealed seven guys' worth of birds, and we crushed them. But what what did you do? What did you do to ruin towels? I've never Bro, used a towel to clean wiping, a duck. I mean, drying drying the meat off before we vacuum sealed it. Just oh, yeah, you're okay, washing feathers <laughs> and crap, and water gets everywhere, and then you wipe it up because it's all bloody and 
We, and I rinsed <laughs> some tiles out good too, man. If they had just a little bit of bleach, they'd have been fine. I know. And they you should have seen the way people were looking at us, like coming down the elevator in the morning with a shotgun in your hand, dressed in camo. People were like, you going hunting? Nope. Going fishing. <laughs> Robbing a bank. <laughs> yeah. Going to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nope. Heading to the bar. Like, <laughs> no, I'm dressed in camo carrying a shotgun for fun. <laughs> but I think you guys hit on the money. I think it's. It's the community stuff, right? Because absolutely, I hunt deer purely for payload, but I also like to shoot. You know, if you're deer hunting and you shoot twice in the same day, it's been a banner day. Duck hunting, you know, well, it's been one you're going to shoot twice on each bird. Yeah. It's, hit them or not. It's, it's been uh, one of two ways you shoot twice during a day of deer hunting. You've had a great day, or you've had you've had an absolutely yeah, terrible yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. That second one was run away, but you know what I'm saying though. So I, I take it like. Your area of blue is it's probably pretty wet, right? <laughs> I yeah, assume. like so, I can, at my house, if I send a drone up in the air, like straight up, I'm surrounded in water. You could see water on both sides of my house, wow, Mississippi so, River and then the marsh. So. so I assume you guys probably don't do a lot of like upland, like dove and stuff? No. No. See, dove hunting, man, for us, that's, dove hunting's a blast. That's like a pre-deer season or beginning post. yeah post deer season that's dove hunting's fun i mean they, they and are you know we get a fast. lot of doves too we get a lot of doves migrating to where we are but typically that depends on some sort of agriculture you know yeah yeah we find them uh quite regularly in walmart parking lots and <laughs> <laughs> that's seagulls pigeon <laughs> Yeah, I was I'm, I'm not at all surprised to hear you say waterfowl but you talk about being a content creator and i I know a few guys. I wouldn't. I don't know that I would call them quite content creators, but they are. I know at least one I would call a content creator. Videographers, yeah. and in the fact that they film for other people. Yeah. Um, but but they have a passion just for being behind the lens. Yeah, I, that I never got that bug. On, I, I never. Um, <laughs> you know, like I want to be a part of the whole experience. I feel like that that's been somewhat of a problem with us. Like we're like, hey, we need to uh, you know, start videoing hunts or, you know, at least videoing other stuff here and there and all of us are like but we wanna participate. Yeah. Well what you do is you switch it up, you know, it's like, all right, hey, look, you know, you shot a few and you take the camera for a little while. Um Yeah. Because somebody does have to do it, right? Like even right. if even if you're just rolling GoPros, which doesn't make the most fun to watch waterfall footage it's okay for fishing i guess but like let's just say you had so what i do what i personally do on my duck hunts i'll start on the camera most of the time and once i get enough quality footage then i'll hand it off to so and so you know who probably already shot four or five ducks anyway and his footage might be good it might suck but at least i know i'll put in my time and i got enough to at least get me going you know yeah you got enough to create content what kind of camera are you using? So I still film with the Sony A7S II when I'm like filming a duck hunt, um, which is like an older version of some of the Sony stuff they have out now. I don't have any reason to switch, so I didn't really like upgrade or anything. Um, then I use the GoPros and, and the drone and all that stuff too. We actually have, I just bought a, a A6400 Sony. So I still need to get a film lens for it, but... Hopefully this year, get a good film lens for that A6400 movie. 
Yeah, I use the, um, it's, I think it's the 18 to 105. It's a zoom, like mm -hmm. a servo zoom. So it's got the electronic zoom. Yep. So it's good for waterfowl. That way, like you can zoom on them when they're out. And then that's yeah, zoom nice. Your zoom in. is nice and crisp. Yeah. And yeah. well, and it's just, it's electronic. So like you just follow, as the ducks get closer, you're zooming out, yeah. you know? So what got you into uh, content creation? I get, well, first off, what are you creating content for? What platform? So I have a YouTube channel called Outside the Levees, and um, same, you know, Instagram, TikTok are all the same, all the same. Uh, so it's all Outside the Levees. And how that came about was I did work as a videographer. Uh, that was, you know, that was my job. I just didn't love to be behind the camera and love to be, you know, I just I didn't fall. I didn't have a passion for the the video making side of it. Um, but I knew that. I was part of a few successful brands. I helped them build those brands and I knew I wanted to build my own. So that's when I started outside the levees and I already knew how to like create the videos and create the photos and whatever it was you needed. So I just needed to like get over the hump of like, okay, well now you got to be on camera and now you not only have to, you know, film, film it, but you have to be part of the story too. So it took, you know, it took a few tries to get that right, but it, it didn't, it didn't take that long. And that's where that's actually where I found you, the outside the levees on TikTok, and then pushed over to Instagram and and so on and so forth to message you. Yeah, uh, but I, I guess what is the what is the point of what are you trying to accomplish with outside the levees? It's just what makes sense to me. So I create the content in the way that like I know how to make it, and you know you you start to see some trends sometime on YouTube of like okay I think that might do well, so you do that or. I mean, you know, one thing we do do on the show is like we typically end the video with like a cooking, you know, whatever it was we caught or, or hunted in that episode, we cook it. Um, and that's like something that like I feel like where my expertise comes in is the cooking side. So I may not be the greatest hunter in the world. I may not be like the greatest fisherman in the world, but I'm one of the better cooks of the wild game stuff. So I can kind of show you things that maybe you didn't think of on how to cook them. But it's like, do I feel like that's part of my mission? No, I don't. You know, if there's something I'm passionate about, like conservation, I'll include that into the message, you know, include that into the story or into the video. But I don't feel like any of that is my, pur you know, my purpose, I guess. So you say wild game cook. I mean, Jim himself, he probably wouldn't claim it, but Jim's a fairly good cook himself, and Jim's cooked up some off the wall stuff. I say so fairly good. Yeah, brought in some. Yeah, Jim is Jim's amazing. <laughs> he probably wouldn't claim it, but what are, I, what are some on, of the? Hang on, okay, I'm gonna hold go on. ahead before you get into this. I'm gonna go ahead and pat Jim on the back and and say that Jim has cooked things for me that I otherwise, uh, I, I'll even say, had my wife come to me and said, "This is liver and kidney pie." I, I would not, I would not have ate it. Uh, but that stuff, some of the stuff that Jim has brought in here and it's like a, a real Jim is a, a real nose to tail cook of wild game. Yeah. And that, like nothing goes to waste. And it's, ah, oh, man, the liver and kidney pie was great. The first time don't reheat it in the microwave. <laughs> does not come out good the second time, but it's yeah. great the first yeah, it time. Sounds like duck. <laughs> it's it's kidney pie. I don't know if there's any liver in there, but yeah, maybe a little bit. But. I thought you had some. Maybe maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Anyway, the kidneys don't reheat well in the microwave. So yeah. throw that out I there. Mean, where I was taking steak this is and like, kidney pie. Oh, maybe that's what it yeah. was. Yeah, steak and kidney pie. Jim has cooked us stuff like like crow, which is something I never thought. 
Like, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to go shoot a piss ton of crows so I can eat them. But Jim cooked some crow, and it was amazing. I didn't know it was crow when I ate it. I knew it was afterwards, and now I'm like, I'm going to shoot the piss out of crow so I can eat them. But, what I mean, what are some of, some of the off-the-wall things that you, that you enjoy cooking or that you enjoy cooking to eat? There's nothing off the wall that I enjoy, I guess you could say. Like, I enjoy the, the, the best stuff, right? Like the best cuts, like a ribeye steak and shrimp and, you know, chicken thighs and stuff that's like, you just, you know, it's, it's the best cuts of everything. So I wouldn't say I enjoy cooking the weird stuff, but I'm also not opposed to it. So like my biggest video, the reason that I'm able to go full time with this, we went and hunted Nutria and uh and we cooked them and like people could not believe that we we're eating them and to me it was like fairly mundane you know because you see people eat them all the time down here and um and they're not like the best thing to eat in the world but they're not the worst either you know so the nutria was a good one but like my favorite wall game to probably mess with is whitetail you know i mean it's the there's it's it's the most forgiving right like it's you can yeah. do so many different things with whitetail so I'd probably say whitetail is my favorite thing to cook. You know, that and shrimp. You know, I love the. I agree because that's the the whole payload thing with whitetail is you get a pile of it. Right. Um, in right. fact, shanks like they've become real popular lately. You know, because Steve Rinella has done all kinds of things with shanks, and so does Hank Shaw, and you know a lot of Asabuka and and. Yeah, I think that's overrated, dude. I think like, and what, dude? I'm a, all right. Here's the problem, though, right? So, like, I'm a dad. I got two young kids. They're six and they're four, okay? Where in my life do I have time to cook something that takes two to three? You see what I'm saying? Like, that takes yeah. so long to cook a shank down into something that's edible. Well, that's kind so of like, where I was going is that everybody makes the big production. And uh, I just started taking shanks because I had a whole bunch of them that I thought I was going to do something mm -hmm. grand with. Man, fire up a slow cooker. Take a couple of venison shanks. Just throw it in there with some stock before you go to bed. And you get up in the morning, and what you got is basically a venison drumstick, right? Heat up some brown gravy with some onions. Open-faced mm -hmm. sandwich is to die for. You know, but that doesn't that doesn't sound real sexy. Like, that doesn't video real well. What you got yeah. is basically the same thing that you have after you have a leftover turkey sandwich. Like, leftover Thanksgiving turkey, yeah. except it's better. But I'd rather do that with a shank. Then just tear it off the bone and turn it into burger, which is your other option. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I just think like you were saying that pop, the whole popularity of it, I think is a little bit kind of overrated. You see what I'm saying? Like ah, it takes because, forever. Yeah. yeah, because any cut off of the back leg to me is better than the shank because I can slide, I can do so many different things with that. Whereas like the shank, you have to slow cook it. You know what I'm saying? There's really nothing else you can do with it. You know, a roast off of a back leg, I can cook, I can cook like Chinese venison with broccoli. I can cook, you know, you can even pound that out and cook it like a steak. So there's just, you know, you do fajitas. There's so much more to any of the, you know, any of the roast parts of the behind than, than, you know, I just think people are like, like you said, kind of like following along with whatever, whatever Renella says, whereas like, let's be realistic, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's nice when it's nice once in a while when you want to impress somebody, but I see right, so many guys right. basically just the whole deer becomes sausage and, except for the back straps, and I just want to cry. Right, right, and that's what the vast majority of people do, nah, and man, that's what I like showing awesome. them. Like, dude, no, you don't have to do that. Get you a pressure cooker, 
That's like one of the best tools you can have in your wild game cooking, you know, arsenal is a pressure cooker because it could take any cut of any wild game and turn it into something tender with gravy. You could put it on a sandwich, put it over rice, do, you know, put it in a burrito, whatever you want to do. I guess, I, I guess I've been sleeping on my pressure cooker. Yeah, I would say, but I, I don't feel like, I can't remember if Jim was very successful with it, but I think Jim even kept, like, when we went to Texas, uh, the crane necks. No, man, there just wasn't. There just wasn't enough there. I tried. There's just. Yeah, I did. You can't duck, even make man. gravy out of them, man. There's just nothing yeah. there. <laughs> no, crane you know what you small. do? You, you boil them in crab bowl like they do with the crawfish Ooh. stand. So, like, they'll sell turkey necks at the crawfish stand, and all they do is they boil them in, in, in crab ball. Oh, oh, with you. It's just like a little finger food. You know? And then since you just kind of – you just you just do like a like a peel and eat. You just pick the meat off of them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you just oh, – right. Yeah. It's like a little finger food. So okay. I, I was trying to do that, but I was trying to do it with wild geese and wild cranes. And they were tough? Just, well, because they're – I mean, these birds, when we're killing them, have just flown you know, 5,000 miles there's, yeah. there's, mm-hmm. there ain't nothing but sinew, man. I mean, there's, there's no fat. There's no, so man, you, you take I this. Gotcha. It looks good, and yeah, I tried. Tried? Did you do it in a pressure cooker? Not a pressure cooker, but I slow. I braised them, slow cooked them. Yeah, did the and whole thing. Right, yeah, right. when it's all said and done, the amount of meat that's left, it's just what's hold on. What's yeah. left is good, except right. what's left is. If you did three necks, you got one taco. What? There's just nothing to them, man. Were you ever able yeah. to do anything with the gizzards? Oh, yeah. The gizzards and all are awesome. Yeah? Yeah. Gizzards. Gizzards, gizzards livers, kidneys, massive, hearts. Bro. Yeah. Um, I I just fried up the gizzards like you would chickens and stuff like that and fed them to people yeah. whenever I was around hunt camp or whatever. So what you made like a... What what'd you make out of the... Uh, the livers? You made like a puree or something, didn't you? Uh, pate. Pate, yeah. pate i'll do dirty rice um you know for a i've always been fascinated i do not understand why the creole and cajun cuisine the cuisine of louisiana isn't a staple throughout the united states listen getting there i'll tell you look no i'll tell you why right now i'll tell you why right now i went to a quote unquote cajun restaurant uh two nights ago down in tampa florida and i ordered as an appetizer i said oh man those fried green tomatoes i bet they're good they weren't even bitter like you you get a fried green tomato it should be kind of bitter it tastes like plain breaded well that's not just louisiana that's southern cuisine but uh, right right screw it up but they screwed up yeah they they he said he said they burnt the beignets they they oh yeah he brought me they're not cafe dupont i got this uh i got some uh what they call it uh buttermilk buttermilk cajun chicken and i was like oh this is gonna be good and it was it's just it it was not it was not even not a bit of flavor to it i could taste the buttermilk that was it and it's a crappy uh, restaurant he comes in and says (laughs) he comes back and says you guys want dessert i said no i don't want to be disappointed again Oh, we had a, when we were <laughs> we were in Colorado. We walked into a Cajun restaurant, right? And um, that just sounds off a Cajun yeah, restaurant, in Colorado, in Southern Colorado, <laughs> man. Well, it was it was, yeah. a, it was one of those one of those towns better. that's been invaded by people running out of Los Angeles. And I looked at the menu, and you know, it was like they had shrimp po' boy. But when I was I was looking at what was coming out. And it was basically a guy took a chicken breast, covered it in zatarans, and served it with some broccoli. And I'm like, 
we ain't staying here. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> First off, it's Zatarain's. You didn't even go. You didn't even use Tony C's, right? It's yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> when you know when I got my my uh, buttermilk C- Cajun buttermilk chicken, and and I, I took the first bite, and I said, "Man, I'm glad I didn't get the chicken and waffles." And the other guy says, "Why?" I said, "Because I'd have got up and walked out, and somebody else had been paying my bill." I said, "Because this stuff is 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 terrible." There was no it, it, all. It tasted like I tasted like I was eating a piece of white bread, bro. So there's actually a decent. Uh, Creole restaurant near us in Altamont. Uh, yeah. What's it called? Tibby's. Tibby's yeah. is all right. Tibby's got good. Yeah, stuff. It was, it was a Tibby. That's they're... what I ate at in, in Brandon was a Tibby's. Oh, really? But now the Tibby's near us, I mean, like, I mean, they're not Cafe DuPont. Like, Dumont. 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 Yeah, they're not Cafe and Dumont. That's like, all Vietnamese anyway. But, uh, <laughs> anyways, it's still good. Now, so I mean, we're gonna have to try some some of this. Some, we're gonna have to get back with you, Jared, and, and get some other ideas because we have a we actually host a crawfish boil, which I would say for Florida is is a very big crawfish boil, but for Louisiana is probably about average, uh, with about ninety five, uh, ninety to one hundred people show up every year. I would cook close to nice. two hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to have you down for that, man. I'll 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 drive in the crawfish. How about this? Well, I'll drive in the crawfish. Y'all just put me on an Osceola. Oh, son, well, yeah. I mean, that's not the same time of year, but we we'll can do just it. Put you on Osceola, like yeah. that's easy. No, it might be the same time of year, man. But um, public land Osceola, that's like hitting the lottery. Oh, yeah, and I, private I, I, land I, I, Osceola, yeah, that's not what I was thought. We can put. You're gonna have to bring in about ten million it, pounds of crawfish. Oh. We got the hookup on a private land Osceola. Uh, I know you, you talk about. Uh, yeah. 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 We might. Yeah, I think I know you talk, you're talking about one of our friends, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. what y'all know, y'all normally hunt them on, on public land. Oh, I mean, yeah, well, but so we got some private land guys too. It but. is. It's. It's even for for uh, Floridians. It's tough to draw a good public land Osceola hunt. I, I yeah, almost don't want to give away some of the secrets, but let's just say they're legal. But some of the things that we do certainly draw raised eyebrows. Like right. you, if you, you know, people like you can do that or like, as a matter of fact, you can, but you probably don't necessarily want to do it in a crowd because you still might wind up in handcuffs and you don't want to have to argue your point. <laughs> <laughs> we have, we have learned to get outside the box to catch Osceola's man. Cause the only place you can get them is Florida. And if you want to hunt Osceola's on private land, you know, sell your children. No they're, shit. They're coveted. Uh, but no, we we do have a, a few spots we could put somebody in some Osceola's. We could pull some strings and and get people out for Osceola turkeys. Yeah. Uh, I can have you staring at them in people's backyards. The question is whether that sucker who who's lived there for seven years and won't so much as jump over a mud puddle. <laughs> Well, we'll decoy. You know, yeah. right. come to the call. He'll just sit there and scream back at you. I'm over here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell me, uh, we down here in Florida, we man, what is what's today's date? The 26th. We've got five days, and more hen season opens up. Oh yeah, looking and forward to that. We you kill those things. Up almost there? sounded like a more hen there when I said, "Oh yeah." I say we, we get out and we lay waste to the moorhens and we eat the piss out of them. Uh, it's actually better eating than a duck. 
thank you. I, I mean, I don't think that. I mean, it's, say say that again for our listeners. The ga- the the y'all call it a moorham. We call it a gallon. Of- yeah, it, same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it tastes better than a duck. I'm my man. <laughs> we, I mean, there, it is what it is. There's a lot of folks down here. Well, there's a lot of folks down here that I forget. What do you guys call coots? What's the French name for coot? It sounds a lot uh, sexy. Puldu. Puldu. Yeah. Right. The uh, everybody's down on on coot, and and again, I go back to you don't know how to cook, and the reality is, is coot. I mean, I've done that. I mean, there are definitely some ducks that are better than others. But I wouldn't necessarily throw Coot or Moorhan up against an honest-to-God, you know, mallard that's been running grain fields and is feeling pretty satisfied with himself. But if you take that and put it up against teal, certainly oh, yeah. against any diver duck, and it's way better. Man, you're talking about a scalp versus, scalp versus a you know, blue duck versus a, a Moorhan or versus a Coot, and you're, you're lying to yourself if you tell me that that duck is better. It's not. Yeah, well, a gallon oil, I mean, it cooks up like white meat, really. You know, when you when you breast that, when you get a breast of a gallon oil or more, hen, it's it's pink. It's not red. Mm-hmm. Ours are redder. But well, you guys you guys have a lot well, of. I, um, I look compared to to a duck, right? It does have like a pork pinkish. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. got that pork. Yeah, like wild pork. It's got that same pink to it. When you're saying gallon, are you talking about the blackbird? With candy corn coot, right? Blackbird, yellow beak with a yeah, spot of red. Yeah, right? that's yeah. what you're talking about? Or are you yeah, talking about yeah. marsh hens? No, we're talking gallinals. We can hunt marsh hens down yeah. here, but they're a lot yeah. harder. They're, they're, they're yeah. fewer down here than they're in Louisiana. Because mm-hmm. I'd love to get out. I'm thinking about going to see my yeah, brother in South Carolina. You know, it's like the clapper rail, the king rail. Yeah, you yeah. got to go to like Jacksonville and stuff like that to kill yeah. those. Right. Yeah. Flat boat. The guy's willing to pull you around. We go and uh, we go and breast them out, and then take the leg meat as well. Tacos. So there's so much meat on the legs. Are the best part. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of meat on the legs, part. and then you know you can't sleep on the dang uh, the gizzards either. I'm starting to have a little bromance with Jared. <laughs> <laughs> He's a kindred soul. He he may not have kidneys, but he eats more hens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if y'all go, I did a, a show with uh, Ryan from Meat Eater, and oh, yeah. um, I took him to shoot Gallinal, and like he had never had it, right? And we deep fried it, which not necessarily the best way to do it. The legs, like it's a little tough, not too bad tough. Like you probably should like brine it first, you know, if you're gonna do that. Yeah. But uh, like he was play- he was like, man, it tastes like cottontail. That's what he kept saying. Yep, I could see that. I, I, I never made that connection until you just said it, but no, you, you're right. It does taste a lot like that. You know, that might not be – there's so much – there's a lot of – one little pin bone sinew, like, that makes it a pain in the butt, but um, I might try that. I've not I've not tried to just cook it the same way you would do a rabbit. Maybe a little buttermilk. Yeah. Buttermilk the legs down for a little while, leave them whole, let the buttermilk right. do its work, dust them up, and then – Boom. With the yeah. with the breasts, my number I mean, everybody's got different things. I'm a very simple guy. My favorite thing with the breasts is I do buttermilk them just to break them down a little bit, and then I'll use shrimp fry. And man, I drop them in the I drop them in the oil just long enough for the shrimp fry to crust a little bit and pull them back right. out. So I'm eating that I'm right. eating that thing medium rare. Medium medium right. raw. Good lord. I can eat 
I can eat a lemon of Morhens. That's thirty breasts in in a sitting. It's so delicious. And of course, I yeah. add a little little seasoning. Yeah. So like that's you know my my son he's six. He'll be hunting this year. Like that's a vast majority of what he's gonna shoot just to get used to like drawing up and um. So you know we're gonna we're gonna put him down, dude. He blasted one last year. We were sitting, so we hunt out the boat. So like we pull into brush and we sit we sit in the boat. And they had one come out like maybe, you know, 15 yards away, dude. And it's like, just like on this little island. I'm like, all right, buddy, you want to get him? And he gets drawn up. I like helping balance the gun, you know what I'm saying? But that's about all I do. Dude, he just rolled it. The dog went and got it and everything. My son is also six years old. (laughs) And uh, he has been killing more hens. Well, I guess last year was the first year he really went on a lion hunt with us. And uh, that boy has probably asked me 10 times in the last two weeks, Dad, when does duck season start? All he's thinking about, and when you say it's duck season, he's talking about when am I going to get to go shoot more hens. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or galleons, yeah. thing for them to learn on. Mm-hmm. No? Y'all allowed to shoot the purple ones up there? Yeah, dude. We're yeah, not. It's, you don't see, we don't see them as much as y'all do, I think. Um, but, yeah, you can shoot them. Well, we're, the problem we have is they're they're actually – they're either there or they're not. And we have lakes. I know. We have lakes where you go to them and everything's purple. And then we, you know, then uh, then we'll go to other lakes and, you know, everything's, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But, man, I'm thinking about, I don't want to name that lake for obvious reasons, but I just wonder because I'm convinced that because you can't shoot them that the purple ones taste the best. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of our problem with uh, invasive species is that to an extent we've almost built a market around it. And you see that too, like the state of, I believe Tennessee, uh, you cannot shoot wild pigs on public land. You're not allowed to do it. And the whole reason, and I understand the reasoning behind that is because Tennessee is not overrun with wild hogs. Uh, I, I lived up in Tennessee, Kentucky area for five years, and I hunted there, and we had one pig on camera on the private property. Yeah, yeah, that was same it. place where I hunt up there. He's had like one. And we never saw him in the daylight. We always saw him at night on the camera. But the reason they that they don't want you killing those pigs on public land is because they're afraid of people who own these big <clears throat> private land hunting preserves or ranches or whatever. Bringing pigs in for financial gain, bingo. Yeah, so they they eliminate that. You, you yeah, know, you can't right. Go. Like, don't turn it into a thing. But what they do do is, if you and even on private land, if you find pigs, you can call the state of Tennessee, and the state of Tennessee will send a trapper out and get pigs off your property free of charge to you. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's worked for them because they're not overrun with pigs, and they don't have like no, a, they're not yeah. an area right. that. They don't. They don't live in a landscape where pigs don't. I mean, hell, pigs live in Russia, man. I mean, they can live anywhere. Yeah, something they're doing's working, huh? Man, I, I know they're invasive. I know they're bad. Well, I have a, a very unpopular stance in Florida that pigs are not invasive. I, I, I that does not mean I'm unaware of the damage they do, etc. My stance in Florida that pigs are not invasive is because they've been here. If you're a Muscogee Indian, you get to say that pigs are invasive. But pigs pigs predate Seminoles in Florida, right? So pigs predate all but 
a very, very select handful of say, people yeah, I would say that I, all I, have Indian blood in that's them. That's interesting. I think we can agree, though, that they they need managed. They definitely do. Yeah. But yeah. If, if, you, if you, even though they do all the damage, if you said, if we could be a, have 100% effic- efficacy and just remove all the wild pigs from the landscape, are you for that? I'd be like, absolutely not. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm not saying right it's now, right. I'm this, just saying how, how I feel. And it may not be the same in Louisiana, but I would tell you right now that pigs probably do, at the state that in Florida is in right now, they do more damage to people's lawns and stuff than they would to crops. To agriculture. Or, yeah, to oh, agriculture. Yeah. I'm not yeah. trying to use a because we almost Because we almost have more, there's almost more houses at this point in the state of Florida than well, there is crop anymore. We talked about this last week on the thing, TikTok Live. The, yeah. the the biggest crop in Florida right now is rooftops. Yeah. And yeah, sort of mixed emotions about that too. Yeah. I just, you know, when I'm, you know, if you're out there hunting deer, that's what you're looking for. And then all of a sudden, Mr. Oinker steps out. You're I'm like, whacking. Hell yeah. And everybody's like, yeah. bonus. Like, that's what I mean. If you said we're going to yeah. eradicate them, I'd be sad. You know, I. I so, I just, I'll, I'll I'd give be you sad. This. I have no qualms against pigs other than the fact that they destroy my deer feeders. They destroy my food plots. They, if they didn't do any of that stuff, I really wouldn't care. Well, yeah, but, <clears throat> bears. But, but I'll because just, I'll yeah. just leave that little floater. Yeah, bears in Florida. Yeah, yeah. But because they destroy, but but because they destroy my deer feeders and stuff, it gives me a reason to go off season and just whack some whack some stuff, man. Oh, I've had pigs knock Melee. over knock over a spinner feeder, then crawl inside that sucker and, and split the barrel open. You know, now we got Jared on the phone. Hey, Jared, how many how many bears are you allowed to kill in Louisiana? So bear in Louisiana are just at this point getting back to a point where we're happy with like the amount of bears that we have, right? Like there's no shortage of bears in Louisiana anymore. So they were like, you know, I I don't know if they were endangered in Louisiana or what's the other one protected, but they're still like years and years away from there actually being a hunt on bears. There are certain parts of Louisiana where the bears are so bad you can't keep a feeder. You can't, you know, they get into your hunting camp. Um, I personally don't see them much here where I live, but other parts of Louisiana has got a lot of bears. Northern. I've All seen right. bears so, in Louisiana. If we're wrap, let's, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Well, we do, let, let, uh, let, let, I don't think we got some housekeeping stuff to do before we go ahead and wrap this whole podcast up. But I want to get, before we let Jared go, he's got to go. Uh, Jared, where can everybody find you? Uh, you, you talked about uh, your your content creating for a living. Yep. I, I want to put some links down yeah, at the no bottom doubt. of the podcast description. Yeah. So so go on YouTube, type in outside the levees, TikTok outside the levees, Instagram outside the levees. So whatever is your preferred social media of choice, I'm on there. I'm going to grab your awesome. uh, your. Uh, do you have a link tree somewhere? Yeah, in my in any of my bios. Okay, I'll grab yep. your link tree and I'll put it in the podcast description so the guys can find you. And they can yep. uh, subscribe to similar stuff and watch what you got going on there because I find you on TikTok and uh, the the mission there with with the watching Louisiana wash away and your passions there and what you're doing it it, it seems pretty cool and uh, I, I want to get as many volunteers I mean like we said we're in Florida but 
we have a reach uh, that is global. Yeah, the biggest thing is, is awareness, man. Like, you know, the things I'm saying, like, most people just don't know. Or they want to argue, right? Like, if I'm like, Louisiana's washing away and we need to do something about it, they're like, oh, well, that's just the natural way, so sorry. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not. It's not. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's not we, natural. We altered it 100 years ago or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. Hey, Jared, so awareness I, is really, you know. I will probably be out. I'll be on the north side of Lake Pontchartrain, which I know is quite a ways from where you are in December. But I'll probably come down there sometime in December, man. I'd, I'd like to hook up with you if you're not opposed to it, man. Maybe go out there and. Yeah, give me a holler. I go, you know, I mean, that's what I do. I'm always out. So. He's not terribly far from uh, New Orleans. So I, I'll pass. No, it's a couple uh, hours down to yeah. Delacroix. Yeah, well, he's it's beautiful. He's been to Delacroix, and I'm, I'm in between New Orleans and Delacroix. I'll pass your phone number on to uh, Jim so you guys can connect together cool, when he's man. up there and uh, awesome. Awesome. do a little collaboration. Hell yeah. Yeah, man. Maybe or if you come up our way, I got a buddy of mine with decent red fishing on the Wrigley's, whatever. I'm uh, Pearl Hell yeah. That's north where you are, but one way or another, man, I'd love to have a beer and see if we get to put some, put some blood in the water. All right, boys. I appreciate y'all. Yeah, thank you appreciate for joining it, brother. us. Have a good one. All right, have a good one. Good to meet you. Bye. I will give you this. The man's a damn good creator. Yeah. Because I've watched his shit and I felt like he had a passion for what he was talking about. Nothing wrong with doing what you do just because you like being outside. So I, I said I said we've got some housekeeping stuff, man. And uh evidently with what was it like eight thousand likes at the end of that, yeah. that TikTok live. I have always been at a stance of like I don't want to do a live podcast because People get the podcast before it comes out. And, oh, my God. It took me two days to edit that TikTok live podcast. Two days. I was in here. I, I started at 8 o'clock Saturday night. And I went until uh, 11 o'clock Saturday night. And I said, I'm done. And I was 40 minutes into an hour and something podcast. But you know what? I don't think, uh, you know, we might not be able to get all of us in here. But I don't think it would hurt us to go... Uh, maybe not necessarily something, not something that we're going to publish. Like you need to follow us on TikTok for this, but do a TikTok live once a week and just, I don't think it's a bad idea, but interact, I also think that interact with our people on TikTok. And if you so, don't have TikTok, download it and get it. Cause we're going to be there and we'll just interact with them once a week. Not here's necessarily my, a podcast, here's my but, idea. And I thought about this on the drive home today. We do a TikTok live podcast once a month and we recap the month and answer questions. That might work. As a guy who was more of a viewer, at least on the first, I know there was kind of a pause in the middle. And you Bro, called the me. first one would have, if if we would have been able to keep that up, I mean, we were on for 10 minutes and had full, like damn near 400 people watching us. And, and a lot of people fell off because of the disorganization, which is okay. Yeah. But understand, that's a platform. The whole reason TikTok is successful, I mean, a long TikTok video, a really long one's two minutes. Right, a lot of TikTok videos, ten seconds, fifteen seconds, thirty seconds. That's your platform. So, as far as those who might tune in to a live podcast, and then because they actually sat through the whole, right? Because we'll do we'll go two hours to run a one hour podcast. If they sat oh, through the, two, the whole two hours and the banner back and forth and stuff that people don't see, well, if that person then doesn't listen to it, that's okay because they 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 enjoyed the visual experience. Most of the people that are seeing the TikTok, they're going to come in, they're going to catch a few things, they're going to hit like, 
Now they're watching the amateur porn that's on there, right? It's, it is what it is. But there's nothing wrong that's, with doing it. It's funny because it's true. Well, yeah. But, I mean, it's uh, there's nothing wrong with it. If we enjoy it, it doesn't take a lot out of ours. I got no problem with doing live pick TikToks. And if it then draws more people, I think you're right that maybe you don't want to do it every single week because there, I think there might be a detriment to where people just think they can tune in every week, catch it 15 seconds, and move on. And some of the things we discuss here, especially with regards to conservation, or we could talk about some of the things in the Biden administration right now that's talking about pushing total lead ammo ban, all this other nonsense. We, that might be for next week. But that's important for people to hear and be aware of. So they right. can stand up and be like, hey, hey, hey whoa, whoa, whoa. There's, there's nothing wrong with – there might be some genuine things about waterfowl and, and, and certainly in California with a condor. But <clears throat> going with basically a nationwide ban on lead ammunition – Come on, man. That's that's not about conservation. That's ultimately about gun control, and well, I, I won't back yeah, away from that. People can don't disagree. get me wrong. I don't disagree with you, but I also believe that over the next twenty years, that is inevitable. It may be, but I'm going to fight it as long as oh, I can. You and you and I both. So anyway, going back to a live podcast, I'm all for them. I think I like your idea of doing at least one a month, so that you have that, and it gives people an an idea. Just hey, man, if you want to be a larger part of it. This is what we do. It's maybe not that sexy, and but it's different. Right. Yeah. So I'll give you an idea how much we edit out. What does the soundboard say time-wise right now? Hour and 24 minutes. So you'd be able to look at your, your radio now and go, oh, man, that's not an hour and 24 minutes in. But that's how long we've been recording for. Man, I you know I, I know I've said this time and time again, but uh, I'm just really thankful for uh, for the people that we have in our listenership that have provided us the opportunities that we have this year. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, how about, man, how about um, guys like Justin crushing his first alligator? It's a doozy. Two days, yeah. two tags filled big gators. Yeah. And not, and I know six footers, man. And I, man, I got, I got to send another like huge shout out to Hattie's game calls. Cause Oh, you got your duck call here, Jim, which you're yeah. finally here to get. And actually, the hat that's hanging up on the, the rack back yeah, here. Yeah, that's yours as well. As well but uh, blow side. on it, yeah. Give me a little practice with this one. Once yeah, again, need a lot. do not take our terrible <laughs> calling for as good as Hetty's game call sound. Uh, game I, call sound. It's the first time I've passed a molecule of air through it. So, <laughs> no, I can tell you what. Air moves through it real fast. It moves through nice and easy. Yeah, so but look, uh, so I'll show you yours. He, Hang on, I'm, I'm, you I'm just I'm gonna send a, a huge shout out to him, like just for the the absolute hospitality that he's gonna show us this year, man. Yeah. So Keith, Keith just bought one actually too. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know exactly where I'm gonna go with this mallard call, but <laughs> North Carolina, <laughs> maybe using Texas. Huh? Yeah, North Carolina, North Carolina. Yeah, I put a model. I, I quack back to a model with this. You could, or you could go to uh, Emerald and Marsh and just hit that hail call as hard as you can, like everybody else out there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go down STA one down south and bang away on this. So you be able to read the Facebook posts that are happening. Who's that guy in the mallard call? That's a Hattie's game call. Sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if only we had him. Oh man, yeah. No, I would love to get back and do a, a, a live TikTok podcast. At least once a month. I mean, yeah. I'm gonna tell you right to... now that I shunned away from TikTok for so long. I'm not gonna get it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get it. I feel like there's a lot of people out here that probably listen to podcasts that don't have one. And I will admit that it is addicting, but 
I do not regret downloading a TikTok. No, we, we've actually pulled a couple guests from TikTok. Beakwhackers yeah. Waterfowl, which was a great guest we had yeah. on. Above the levees tonight. Yeah, they were but, from TikTok. Outside the levees. Outside, outside the levees. Yeah, yeah, they were from TikTok. Having the bourbon. Yeah. Outside uh, the levees. He's from TikTok. TikTok's a kind of a pain in the butt as far as us connecting with people because if they don't follow you, you can't message them. So you got to comment and then wait for them to comment back. Yeah. Well, so yeah, that's how we actually got with with uh, Beakwhackers Waterfowls. I commented and they messaged us after I followed them. And, but outside the levees, I went to his main profile, followed his link tree, or followed it to his Instagram and messaged him via Instagram. I think it's a great way, and you had to write in the money, to see kindred spirits. Because all of us are doing this 99.99999% just because it's fun. And the point oh 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 one percent is because you'd like to think that you're helping somebody either get out and hunt or you're helping a conservation effort. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> we're deficit spenders, man. We're just trying to help people. And if you for some reason think our helping people needs to be protected or justified or that somehow we're making millions in the podcast business. I, you're just a knucklehead. I, I would love to make money at this, uh, but then again, I look out here and I'm like, I look at the things in the studio. Hang on, let me find something we paid for. The wood on the walls was paid for, and the tin here. Uh, but the ta- the tin came from was a gift from your dad. Yeah, I would say the tin was a gift from dad. Okay, because we collected our own tin, and then dad didn't like the tin we collected, so he bought us other tin. And, okay. and to be fair, because I was pretty new to the podcast time, you guys had plans. And I said, well, if you're going to spend X number of dollars, let me throw in and we can upgrade. Yeah, right? you're right. It was just had, me paying my dues. We yeah, had not say, intended to put this nice of wood on the walls that we have in here. Yeah. It was it was like that the kind of plywood type stuff, but it looks – I'm glad but that you I was gonna suggested say, it, that. At yeah. that point, we had all bought into uh, this nice audio equipment that we have now. The, the truth of the matter is, you know, my influence on Under Pressure Outdoors is uh, – uh, I would honestly say that I feel as if through the time that you have been here that uh, we have probably had more influence on you personally than you have tried to influence us any other. Oh, I'm, I'm back into all my old youthful bad habits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it has been – so I'm older, and you hear me every now and again lament my, my – uh, a few pains and whatnot but it has been man it has been fun the small game things the idea of a purpose um although because all the things that have been my family this summer i i really do feel that i owe a debt that i haven't been carried my weight the last couple weeks um there's always this idea of how do you make it better how do you grow but all that's all motivated by what can we do here that is going to take that person who's kind of dabbling and say, I can go to them or I can work that much harder. And again, I'm going to mention Justin Olson because I think his first time out hunting was a small game hunt we did. Or oh, if he, it wasn't his first time, so, it was certainly early experiences. And that guy's becoming pure predator. Je- Justin grew up hunting in Michigan. Oh, really? Okay. He came to Florida and he hunted some. And I, I mean, Justin, by all means, feel free to reach out to me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... We gave him well. We gave him a group to connect with, to go out and hunt. We gave him hunting buddies. That that's where I'm kind of going. Man, with, and right? that's, is that's, I got hunting buddies. Sid Curtis, 
right? Yeah. Been out in Ocala what? and places. You know, okay, so we talked Since about Justin and Sid Curtis. Jacob and, Bigby met him at a small game hunt, and he's helped out. And, of course, he's the master of ice cold beer. But we can keep going down the list. There's dozens. So I, I want to I talk about something. We talked about Justin and Sid Curtis, and I'm afraid now through recent Facebook posts that I am going to be forever known as the guy that wiped his butt with alcohol wipes. <laughs> and it burned because Justin now tagged me the other day in some like the red hot, the red hot spicy <laughs> <laughs> wet wipes. <laughs> I think it's worse things, man. There is. And I'm you okay with being sock known. Puppet. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm okay with being known for that mistake. Uh, but uh, I learned my lesson, uh, bro. I don't and, uh, think at this point that I would shy in the instant that I was like, somebody's like, I'm just going to wipe my butt with alcohol wipes. I'm like, yeah, you go ahead and do that. I'll let you learn on your own. Let me give a TikTok. Yeah, exactly. Just so that I can, uh, I, I want to be able to experience uh, what others experienced on my behalf. Yeah, you want to see that. You want to witness them experience your pain. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right another example is we did the um, the Swanee trip. And, uh, and I would love to have BHA back in the fold. You know, we did it mainly to try to promote BHA for a couple of years. And a couple of guys came out and it was great. And man, I made some, some of my closest friendships on that five day journey. And then the first year that, you know, under pressure really championed it. I mean, how many guys we have last year? Went from being Let five me, to like yeah, 15. Uh, yeah, and, B- oh my B- God, B-H-A, the Swanee yeah. will never be the same. Let me tell I'm you. I'm not cutting on BHA. BHA is an all fantastic organization. They just need help. Let me tell you, um, I think we need to go ahead and plan that again now uh, because I'm afraid that we're going to have to reserve some serious cabins. At, yeah, you we, may we'll, have to tell this, bring people to bring tents to Lafayette Blue. We'll like, do the same run and and we'd have to get as many cabins as we can reserved to Lafayette Blue. We had almost all of them last year. We had three. Three? Three. We had 18 guys reserved cabins. A couple people paid them for whatever reason didn't show up. So I think we had 16 guys. But with some promotion, we could easily fill those things up. And although, so on top, of I hope they're not have, listening. We we could throw a few guys out there in the porch, and I don't think anybody. On, yep, no, no. On top of what we had, I know I have four more guys interested in doing the whole fifty mile trip. And Matt has mm-hmm. more too. Right. And by the way, we talk about podcast family. Man, Matt came in on the podcast last week. I just got to give Matt a shout out. Matt was, he he may have had to get a little bit of alcohol up first. But Matt was phenomenal. A little bit liquored up, and then yeah. he got to talking pretty yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, man, last week, I listened to the episode uh, Monday when it came out. I listened to it at work, and uh, I was like, bro, if Matt lived closer, like, we, Matt, we need Matt on more often, because Matt was like, we this, we that, we this. I'm like, goodness, man. We need to have Matt on all the time. And it's, it's funny, because I actually only, I, I met Matt by happenstance through work. Uh, that we're, we we were in the same apprenticeship program together. We're about to finish it up next week. And w- Matt lives in Panama City. He's six hours away. Yeah. I feel terrible about that because I was up there for four <laughs> weeks. If I had known how close he was, I'd have kidnapped his ass to come fish with me. Much you wouldn't have had to kidnap him. Matt would have just left and come. And, and I, I understand because... He doesn't know me as well because he, he must have known I was up there. I was posting a couple pictures of redfish and stuff like that. Right? Actually, a lot of That's I kind of kept it on the down low. I, a lot of that was just between us, but um, I it is one of the few things I had a great time up there. 
But if I could rewind, that's one of the few things I'd be like, I would love to have gotten to spend some one, some more genuine one-on-one time with Matt Tippins. Because you see him out on the, the canoe trip, and there's a hundred other people there, but he's obviously a personality to be reckoned with. And Matt's a real genuine big heart guy, guy, man. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I know Matt's probably going to listen to this one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a real genuine guy, and uh, he might be down next weekend. Uh, he's going home next weekend, man. That's, the end, that's the end of it, man. So I'll, I'll be calling him from Alaska next week. So <laughs> yeah, see, you know, I, I was talking to Amanda last night. And, Old uh, people privilege. I was talking to Amanda uh, earlier today, and, and she's like, "Jim's been gone for a while." I was like, "Yeah, he's coming back for a week, and then he's gone again for another couple weeks." I can't remember where he's going. I, I was back. Alaska. So yeah, two, two weeks. So uh, I'm I'm fortunate enough to uh, to work a salary job, and uh, I have to get a certain amount of stuff done within a certain amount of time. So like, me and Jim talked. And, uh, like, today, man, I think I worked on one job, and I just kind of BS for the rest of the day. I, I worked on a couple other jobs, but that one job I worked on today was for Friday of next... That was my last Friday job of next week. Yeah. So, I'm so far ahead that, like, I'm hoping... That come hunting season, I can be like, because they don't, they don't really care. I'm just telling them, like, hey, I'm leaving. I'm not, I'm not going to be here, right? Because fortunately, my salary job pays me to get a certain amount of stuff done within a certain week. So if I get far enough ahead, I can say, hey, listen, I'm just, I'm not going to be here Friday. And they're going to be like, okay, because. Cool. I got plans for you then. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what we talked about when we went out to eat. It's like. I may be able to just take some Fridays and say, hey, I'm not going to be here. Like, I'm going to go to the panhandle like me and Jim talked and, and maybe shoot some ducks or something for mm-hmm. just a longer weekend in the panhandle. But I, I, I have weekends where I can go, hey, I'm just not going to be here Friday. And they're going to say, okay, because I'm already a week and a half ahead and it's not a big deal if I'm not there. Next Saturday, though. Saturday morning. You know what we're doing. Shooting more hens. You dang right we are. But I tell you what, I'm going to, because you'll be in Tampa on the 1st. Uh, on the first, I'm gonna be shooting more hens after work. When, when's the first? Hang on, let's see. The, 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 the I might not be Tuesday or Wednesday, right? Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday. I might not be. My buddy Jason Gondor here, we, and I just already texted Jake, Jake Bell, not Big B. By the way, if Jake's listening, uh, you got to get back to me, dude, because I asked you if you have your own gear for cater hunting, and uh, I'll run you if my boat's running right by then. That's a big if, but go ahead. I could, I'm testing it. I'm running to uh, a lake near the house tonight to uh, test it after the podcast. So I've done some more fiddle farting with the carburetors. I have some other additives to hopefully clean them. So we'll see if it's not uh, if it's not the carbs. I got some other stuff to go from there, but uh, it's other stuff that I can fix. It's just stuff that I have tried to avoid. <laughs> what are we sitting at time wise? Uh, hour and forty one minutes. All right. What do you guys got for the tip of the week? I'll go first. We lost Jared before we got to the tip of the week, but that's okay. I'll give you mine. And that is uh, follow your passion. Yeah. Right. Whether whether it be hunting, fishing, photography, uh, even if it has nothing to do with the outdoors. If you have a passion for crunching numbers and finance is your thing, follow your passion. 
Jim laughs because that's, <laughs> that's what Jim does. It is one of them. Yeah. Um, man, I want to kind of caveat off what you said. It's not my tip of the week, but uh, I just want to give a huge because, like we talked about earlier, uh, Jared said it. He doesn't have his passion is not being behind the camera. I have just something within me that has a huge passion to be behind the camera. And uh, I just want to give a huge shout out to uh, Florida Boy Outfitters because I have been invited and I've accepted to do uh, a lot of filming for Florida Boy Outfitters this year. I will be behind the camera for a lot of stuff for Florida so Boy Outfitters this year. Video quality decrease. No, you'll see it go up. <laughs> I mean, uh, and and I'll give Hunter a huge shout out. Is Hunter is a uh, Hunter does great, man, with his YouTube stuff. Um, but his Hunter, TikTok Hunter, now though that yeah. that last TikTok was straight fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you that that uh, a lot of times Hunter is the man behind Hunter's camera. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to being the man behind Hunter's camera and and truly telling Hunter's story from Hunter's perspective because Hunter Hunter no longer has to be behind the camera. Hmm? Um, I I I truly want to put I want people to be able to see Hunter's perspective. So what I'm really looking forward to that this year. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna have to let Jim go first because I I got kind of got deep into that one. I forgot it. All right, bro. And you think after <clears throat> whatever fifty some of my podcasts, I'd remember being a tip of the week. And I, I'm a little out of touch because I did a call in podcast. Got called last week, but like I said, I've been out, so I did not I didn't put thought in their tip of the week. But as I'm sitting here thinking about, there's part of me that's almost like you know we've we've talked about so many things, all of the. Get out, get off the couch, just go, you know, save money. Make sure you ask for the large ice cream at McDonald's. I wonder how many of you are actually <laughs> doing that. If you're not, you're missing out. Um, but that's, no matter how many, and there's more practical tips I carry, especially if you ever go on an overnight trip, carry spare parts for your frame and things like that because that'll just ruin you. Um, the comfort, maybe... We touched on earlier in the podcast is you get what you give. There's been a number of times, well, we were talking for the day, like, oh, we're going to go to a cow and we're going to camp. And I went, oh, man. Because in <laughs> scouts and stuff, I used to log like how many nights I spent sleeping in the dirt. And it's, it's not hunt camp stuff. This is just sleeping in the dirt. It's a hundred and some, man. And you may say, oh, it doesn't sound like many. I'm like, yeah, well, add up how many you got. Because the reality is you do not spend that many nights laying on the ground. And I have. And the idea of outdoor camping is trying to lose its luster. So that's an example of where part of me is like, I don't know if I want to do that. But you know what the funny part about it is, is if you, going back to you get what you give. I know damn well that if I go to Ocala and we do the small game hunt, and I haul all my crap out there as much as I may be kind of thinking this is a pain in the ass. That when I get there, there's going to be stories. 
There's going to be friendship. I'm going to learn something that I didn't know before. Somebody, you know, from someone else, and someone else is going to learn something that they didn't know from me. And there's going to be a whole lot of that community building. And then we're going to go out, and whether we smash squirrels by the dozen and doves, or whether it just turns into a giant nature walk, when I go home, I will be better for it. So all of these things that sometimes when somebody asks you for help or somebody asks you for a couple of bucks and you're thinking, what does my part do? The truth philanthropy is you don't know, but chances are you will get more. You will get at least as much as you give in some way. So that in my transcendental methodology, the more you do, the more you will receive. Even though that trade-off doesn't necessarily happen right away or those equal scales aren't necessarily apparent. I definitely know. I feel actually that you get, I've gotten more than I've given. That's how I feel in terms of friendships, people that have gone out of their way to help with conservation efforts that maybe were more important to me than it was than them. All right, just put in some time. That's it. Long, I don't know. Take what you will from that. So I'll speak from experience and say there is no better way to build a faster bond with another person than through mutual suffering. <laughs> misery he's, loves company. He's talking from the military here. But but it is. Absolutely right? true. You know, you, you guys go shit. together and you, you go out there and you're like, yeah, we're going to camp. And then it rains. And you guys fight through the suck together. And then you come out on the other end. And on the way home, you're like, I'm never camping again. Right. Two weeks later, you can't talk about anything else. Six months from then, you're like, dude. You, you remember that time when it when it poured rain? Yeah, yeah. You laugh so, about it. It's it's not funny when you're sitting there going, "I wish I'd have brought my rain fly." Yeah, this rain sucks. But six months later, you're like, "Do you remember that time it it, it pissed rain on us? And, and it was it was it was terrible. It was terrible, wasn't it?" And we all laugh and we drink beer and we tell jokes about it. And then next time that we go out, we're like, "We're gonna bring a rain fly." And then it gets really windy and rain fly blows away. You still get wet. And then, but you know. Yeah. It, it's 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 a bond you build a, a such a deep bond through mutual suffering. So that was kind of I was I'm I was gonna kind of say the same thing you are, but uh, like Jim's talking about, like man, it may kind of suck to camp in Ocala, right? I don't think it's gonna suck. Did we tell you? Did we tell you about I, I, what we're gonna do in Ocala? We're gonna we're gonna yeah. Get well, hold on, hold on, yeah. But ah. but uh, you told me about that, but like to me. The first year I went on Swanee. Excuse my French, but it fucking sucked. Right? It was me alone in a in a fucking canoe. <laughs> and when the wind blew hard as shit, and you saw some of those times where it blew hard, son. You yeah. were having to paddle. I know that one. Right? That one day was brutal, man. Yes. And it blew hard as shit. And I'm in the back of a canoe by myself. And when it it's blowing and my canoe takes a slight turn to the left and I'm paddling as hard as I can on the right and the whole canoe still turns to the left and turns me completely backwards. And I'm like, this sucks. I was pissed. I was done. I was mad. You know, that, but that's, that's the first day on we do the 50 miler out of, out of, out of Swanee Springs. That's the second day. Or Swanee, 
Swanee River State Park. Swanee River State Park. That's 13 miles all the way to Camp Dowling. Yeah. And when you're dinking around in the river, and then it, the wind comes out of the comes out of the west, and you have and the river slows down because you got all those tight turns for you're pulling to Dowling Park. If you're solo on a canoe, and it's late. It's it gonna sucked. Suck. It was I terrible. Can't, I can't but tell you. the it next was, day it was. I, I will tell you right now, from my experience, it was terrible. I hated it. I was so mad. I was pissed <laughs> off, dude. <laughs> uh, but but a few bourbons later, it was yeah. Jordan again. <laughs> yeah. But by the end of the trip, like Jim said, there were so many memories, so many amazing memories made on that trip that. I I couldn't wait to come back. And then this year, on uh, what day four, me and William decided to paddle another five miles. It made a fifteen mile trip that day. Yeah, we made a fifteen mile trip that day, and two hours of that last five miles, pouring. however long, it was pouring rain. I was mad as shit. I had my shirt off, like. <laughs> It I, didn't was like, yeah. I was it like, didn't I was like, I was like, when the hell are we going to find a place to stop? And William's like, just keep paddling. And I'm like, dude, this sucks. So the old guys, and, yeah. me, Steve, Christian, and Gene, as it's just, just raining hell. And, and, and we're like, I think that's right about where them fellas are. You think they're okay? I was like, well, I ain't going to get them. Yeah. <laughs> but I will tell you what, when we made it to our spot, right, the rain had finally stopped. And we found where we were going to camp. Everybody went to bed. I decided to stay up. And we we were on this huge bluff on the side of the river. And I sat in a chair. And I just enjoyed a beer. I wasn't trying to slam it or anything. I was just enjoying. I enjoyed a few beers there. But just the complete serenity of that river. And I was sitting... 20, 20 feet above the river on a, I mean, it was a bluff. So it was pretty much a cliff. I mean, if you, if you talk about a bluff on, on the, on the Swanee and uh, I'm sitting in a chair and I'm enjoying beers and I'm just complete nature, man. The, the, the sturgeon jumping and just nature happening in itself as I'm just sitting there relaxing was 110% worth what I went through to get there. I'm not going to lie. My fondest memory of that night on the river was when I woke up at 3 a.m. to Matt going, eee! And I said, I woke up and I said, what the fuck is that? And I thought I was alone by myself awake and Jordan goes, it's Matt. (laughs) (laughs) I had just like just gotten in my hammock. Yeah. Yeah, It's funny you mentioned the rain because the first year... Back when the first year that we did it for BHA, we did a 50 mile trip and for 30 at least of those 50 miles, when I say it rained, I don't mean like, oh, you know, it rained. I mean, just like some, like you stepped into the shower on full blast for days. That's the way it was. You'd get up, it'd be pouring rain. You'd get in the, you didn't, you didn't even worry about it. You just... You walked out, you were wet. And you, and the good it wasn't cold, thank God. And we canoed and kayaked in that all day. My son was on that trip, but Gene was on that trip and Steve Christopher. These are men in their sixties. Yeah. And uh you know the funny part about it is cause once you just get used to it, 
you just endure. And then we'd, you know, we'd get under shelter and stuff in the camps and we had a great time. And the next morning we'd get up and it'd be raining again. And we just, <laughs> we just did. And I mean, uh, but those guys who are in their 60s have been on every single one. I was going to say, you, you know, it's everybody, every single person that has embraced the suck every year. You had, uh, other than people that had life events come up that, that it got in the way. But since I've been going, like the first year I went, everybody, like I said, other than people that had life events come in the way, everybody that was there the first year that I went was there again, plus more. And then everybody that came last year is like, bro, 110%, I'm coming next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very rejuvenating event. Yeah. You don't really even have to bring paddles. No. Well, <laughs> a little bit, man. If you got a trolling motor. <laughs> That's a good point. They're, they're nice to keep you in track. And then when you slip time, you, you can you can gain time through a paddle. But don't get me wrong. Uh, we've got about a few months to plan for this we need to start working on that troll motor game oh we have a troll motor we're fixing hanging studio too i'm gonna get saturday by the way i'm gonna go ahead and say both seasons coming up if you haven't gone that's my tip of the week right there both seasons coming up if you haven't gone to central florida archery and uh go go and get your stuff squared away because hendrick is jam up it's too tomorrow late. tomorrow i will I, i'm going to see hendrick tomorrow it's too late but it's not too late no you know what i mean yeah uh you've been shooting all hopefully you've been shooting all summer but i understand if you're like shooting once or twice a week because it's oh my god hot yeah but if you're looking for that last minute tune-up you definitely need to head to the floor archery. Yeah. When so, Hendrick left here, I was convinced that the next week I'd be in his shop getting outfitted. And I was going to shoot all summer. I don't know what happened. I will, I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now that like, and I've told so many people that you can go to whatever pro shop you want, right? And they're going to try and sell you their most expensive bow, their most expensive site. Uh, you know, they're gonna try and make money off you. The creme de la creme. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 Hendrick obviously is there to make money, right? But Hendrick is so in it. Hendrick's such a, a genuine guy. He's in it for the sport. Yeah. Hendrick is in it because if you tell Hendrick that you have this amount of budget and you are going to hunt, right? Hendrick's not gonna try and put you in a bow that it's gonna shoot competition shit. Hendrick is going to put you in a bow that is going to accommodate what you want in your price range. He's going to put a sight on you for what you need. Like Hend- Hendrick is there for you to make a, uh, a, a a good kill. Hendrick is more concerned with getting you in the field with a bow you can afford, knowing that you'll come back to Hendrick to get the bow when it's when you're ready. Yeah, it's more expensive. Yeah, it's time to reach out to Hendrick and have him on again. Yeah, because I agree. 100%. Hendrick is one of those guests that when I'm on there, I felt like I was hanging on every word. I was absorbing, but I'm I'm not an archer. Like I would love to be an yeah. archer. I haven't. Yeah, put but the, time the way in, Hendrick talks, Hendrick makes bow, you want to be an archer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Hendrick has opened a, a dang bull tongue business. Hendrick is now a full fledged U.S. Citizen. Oh, bro! So Hallelujah. I sent uh, Hunter again. We're talking about Hunter. Uh, Floatable outfitters. Hunter's gone up there and got completely outfitted 
uh, by Hendrick. And Hendrick is shipping Hunter some Bolton. Well, there we go. Yeah. Well, uh, let's go ahead and cut this off, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah. Adios, guys. We'll see you. Appreciate you joining us. Wait, before we go, Jim, Jim, Jim give him give him one more Hattie's game called Terrible Call. Oh, God, man, you got it in your on. hand. I'm going to make you, gotta, you do it. You got, well, hold on. You got to get the tuck, 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 and then. Say, say, tick, 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 tick. Yeah, don't, don't. Never mind. Uh, that need, was not half bad. I that last one was not half bad. It's terrible, man. And I've had a couple of bourbons. I need a little practice with the squad. Do that again. I'm hitting the square, right? Yep.